welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And today we're just talking about various miscellaneous things. Um, I want to start this off with something that I don't want this to become a political podcast because that gets boring really quick. But I, I would like to quickly um, say that Georgia and now Alabama have both passed incredibly restrictive uh, abortion bills. Georgia having one that says once a heartbeat can be detected, uh, it is it is now considered a person and cannot be aborted, which... Uh, first, so arbitrary. Yeah, n- not only is it fucking arbitrary, it's a really stretched definition of a heartbeat <laughs> because it's just kind of a valve that vibrates and will turn into a heart eventually. Like the heartbeat at that period sounds like... Because it's not a heart. Um, but, you know, anything they can do to, to fuck over anyone who wants an abortion is, is what they will do. And uh, I know I've said this before, so I will not repeat myself too much, but I believe that uh, reproductive control and uh, specifically the right to an abortion as part of that is our, our civilization is dependent on that. Our way of life cannot exist without it. And uh, it would revert to a patriarchy if we didn't have that for reasons of necessity, really. And so uh, I I think it is incredibly important that we always have these rights. And I don't know. I just, I would be terrified to be a woman in those states uh, once this law goes into effect, if it does, in fact, go into effect. So can I, I've got at least, all right, let me just get this out. One, I want to touch on the movie Alien, because that sounds highly relevant here. For <laughs> yes. For reasons that I just learned yesterday. Yes. Um, two, this isn't like a political subject really like this is just like things that are happening in the world like it'd be one thing if we're like i don't know this, i guess i'm gonna give this us a pass is a on this. politically charged topic but yeah but it, it shouldn't necessarily be. i mean yeah i mean it, yeah you're right it is but like i was talking to somebody yesterday about how like climate change is a politically charged topic now but like why is science politically charged right um in any case and maybe why is why is morality politically charged we'll figure that maybe we can touch on that later but yeah. The other thing is, I don't really know the specifics of this of the laws that are being proposed. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've I've heard different things from different people, and I haven't looked into it myself. So what's what's really going on? Let's do Georgia. If you, I don't know if you know each state or if they're the same or whatever. But are we talking like if you go try to get an abortion, you're going to be you know hanged for murder? Are no, you going um, to go to prison. Is the doctor going to go to go to prison? The doctor. Yeah. Okay. So I'm also curious, not being a lawyer, this is legal at the federal level. Uh, this is not legal anywhere right now. No, no, now. excuse me. Abortion is legal at the federal level. Oh, yes. So how do... I mean... States th- can pass their own laws restricting it in various ways. I feel like if it was this easy, they would have done so already. So what's what's going on? Well, because... I'm also an idiot. So. Specifically with Roe versus Wade, it was ruled unconstitutional for states to put uh, too strict limits on abortion. Uh, and a lot of people don't like that ruling. And right now they think that with uh, a Republican president and the the but, justices that have recently been installed, uh, they might be able to get the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. So they are intentionally passing laws that are extremely unco- um, unconstitutional is, I guess, the term we use when something has been ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, right? Uh, they are passing laws that are in flagrant uh, via opposition violation of the Roe vs. Wade ruling so that it can go back up to the Supreme Court, they're hoping, and uh, get that overturned. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. and Oh, that, that, was, the, that was the thought process behind it, because they're, they're not hoping that this is going to like change the country. They're hoping to get the conversation up to the Supreme Court, where, yeah, we've got all the well, best then players. They to, are also and, hoping that it'll get overturned, and so they can change their individual states to be horrific like this. Right, right, right. I just, I, I my, my understanding of 
just hearing about this from the outside was like, okay, their their plan is to get this back over to the Supreme Court because now they can win. Yeah. Um, so that's that's cool. So it is uh, pretty political. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. I'm I'm okay with that. I guess this isn't like you know we're not we're not railing on yeah, we're not Kavanaugh to... right now, which again doesn't even sound political to me, but whatever. <laughs> uh, maybe I don't have any trouble talking political stuff. I get it's it's boring, it's overdone. We're not experts, and there's more entertaining and and informed podcasts to talk about politics, maybe. But yeah. um, so yeah, the the whatever the ruling is like, you can't if you go get an abortion in Georgia, the doctor can be charged for murder. Yeah. Okay. Or I'm, I think this. A special uh, penalty that they've put in that's not exactly the same as the murder penalty. But, yes, the doctor gets charged and goes to jail. What about the mom? The mom does not. Oh, that's cool. I mean... Yeah, but... (laughs) At least there's that. There's Yeah, there is that, but um, there's still the fact that you won't be able to get an abortion because doctors don't want to go to jail. Yeah, and the other thing is that um, the fetal heartbeat can be detected at about six to seven weeks. And... uh, that's like most, well before most, most women who are pregnant, pregnant, yeah, don't even know that they're pregnant until about six weeks yeah. from their last period. So Smart. this is kind of just a de facto ban on abortion. Yeah. And the six weeks thing is a little arbitrary. It's people don't have an exact date of conception, so it's measured. The measurement of six weeks old is six week is how long it's been since the woman's last period. So I mean, it might only be three weeks. But. Hmm. Yeah, uh, for for most women, it's like I missed a period. Okay, that's weird. You wait a few days, and you know, then you go get a test or something. So you, you just are barely finding out that you're even pregnant, maybe after the six week period. And I guess for people who live on the borders these days, can you still drive across the state line to get an abortion there, or is there like weird stuff with like getting procedures out of state? I don't get you a lot know, of medicine. You know, it's so. it's hard to say because there a lot of times if you cross state lines to commit a crime, you can still be persecuted for it. But the the the, the crime committer here is the doctor performing the the procedure, right? Yeah. So if the doctor is not, I guess if the doctor doesn't go into Alabama, yeah, like just, so, like just on the other side of the state line, north of Colorado and Wyoming. Like right across the sign from Welcome to Wyoming, there's these big tents that sell fireworks. Yeah, and they're allowed to do that. So, like, I'm assuming if a doctor practice, you know, with a Georgia license, set up a tent on the other side of the state line, saying <laughs> yeah. free abortions or something, that would be committing a crime, maybe. I don't but know. I don't know if it traveling. would. That would actually be hilarious if they did just like set up a whole bunch of abortion clinics all along the border. Yeah. But the downside <laughs> is that from the middle of a state, you know, like Georgia, it can be a seven-hour drive to leave the state. Yeah, so. not everyone has access to transportation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like this like definitely. Like always, it'll hurt the poor the most. Yeah, it yeah. puts an arbitrary hardship on people to yeah. Yeah. make I mean, them like figure out that they're pregnant in time, get out of state. Uh, yeah, it's and not it's good. you know trying to push our country back into the dark ages. I saw a couple funny things on oh whatever the kind of dark political humor that happens when you know every fucking week in the last four three or four years. But it was an Onion headline that was like. 12-year-old doesn't think that she, or, like, uh, sexually assaulted 12-year-old doesn't think that she can handle being a mom on top of all the other things going on. (laughs) It's a picture of a sad little girl. Yeah. Um, Line was like, with all the homework that I'm doing and the gym practice, yeah. How am I going to fit having a kid into this? Yeah, and then there was one that was like, I mean, whatever, this is just political humor, so we can leave it out, but, um, yeah, that's weird. I don't have a lot. I mean, obviously, it's fucked, and I, you know, like, there's, I don't have anything to, to add other than, like, normal platitudes like people at work were talking about it and they were like yeah i posted a thing on facebook and i was asking like all right well cool are you now gonna like pay for better you know uh like preschool and daycare and this and that and i was Paternity like did leave yeah and i, I was like Paternity i was like i think you know the answer to all these questions is like no right yeah. and she's like yeah but that's the point i'm like it's, it doesn't seem like that adds a lot of the conversation like no the like they're not this is just like on the one hand 
to to be uncharitable, it's like just to fuck you and keep you down because now we've got the chance to do it and we hate women and stuff. Mm-hmm. On the charitable side, like if you really think like, you know, for the last whatever since Roe v. Wade, the United States has been cool with killing babies and now like this <laughs> right. is your chance to like help save those lives. That's the nice motivation from it, but I'm not convinced a lot of people actually believe that. I've well, it's just I, I think the true believers do. Yeah, the true, yeah. I think a lot of people actually do. Yeah. But, I have no idea um, how many true believers there actually are. There's a lot of people who say they they believe stuff, but I, it's hard to tell the difference from the outside, right? Yeah. I think it's hard to tell the difference from the inside too. Um, can I add another fact? Yeah. Because I just was looking this up. So critics have pointed out that the term fetal heartbeat bill is a misnomer, inasmuch as at that stage the conceptus is still only an embryo and the heart is not yet connected to a circulatory system. Yeah damn scientists weighing <laughs> in on things like this yeah it's it's so yeah it's just an arbitrary like um i, I always see these billboards that are like heartbeat in six weeks uh and like there's a picture of a fully formed smiling baby on the yeah. billboard to like and you're like oh a little baby with its little heartbeat i mean it's it, just that's, that's really the pushing the emotional they, yeah. narrative of this is a you know a person and it should be treated like a person instead of this is a clump of cells that's starting to form into something that may someday become a person every year at csu because it's a state school they were you know allowed to bring people like protesters were allowed to do stuff right Mm -hmm. so they would put up these things that were like probably 10 feet tall like these gigantic signs and it would be like this is your baby at eight weeks and they're like it's like holding this disgusting little thing from like did you ever ever like see pt that playable teaser for (laughs) new silent hill game in the bathroom it's disgusting but it's like, so they're holding this thing that's like, I don't know, the size of like your thumb, but it looks like a tiny human. And like, it, and like their hands are covered in blood or something because they just murdered this thing. Right. So like, it's just like straight up bullshit lies. Yeah. And I, I have this deep frustration as somebody who cares about the truth and rationality and, and reality that if you're lying to dis- defend your position, your position's not worth defending. Yeah. If, if, and that's like... You know, I, as long as we're talking politics, I don't like Donald Trump mm-hmm. and I'm happy to talk all the shit I can about him, you know, whenever someone asks me to, but what I won't do is like lie and make up stuff about him. Cause there's so much real ammunition there. Right. Yeah. And so I guess there's a couple things. One, there's enough to talk about without lying if you're, if you're complaining about something. But the other thing is that if you fall back on a lie and then someone's like, oh, that actually is not true. Like then they're, they have fairly good reason to, to like be highly skeptical skeptical of everything else you've said because they've already proven that you've lied in some cases. So I like, just, just be honest. If you're, if, if I think there's, there's this phrase that, you know, I've heard once or twice about that, that which can be destroyed by the truth should, should be. be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I've heard that. Yeah. I, I'd also like to point out that this is literally a forcing religion into government thing, which a lot of people don't think of it as, but it's specifically the evangelical Protestants that have this beef with abortion and that made it, a major thing uh back in the i don't know 50s 60s i don't remember exactly when they went on their kick but for example uh in hebrew in hebrewism in judaism Mm. (laughs) uh in judaism the the person is not considered to have a soul until it takes its first breath and usually isn't regarded as something with rights until it begins the egress from the womb uh like for the first I don't know, a few months. I don't know exactly how long it is. It's not even considered a separate thing from the woman's body. Yeah, uh, that, that makes so much more sense because it's true. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's there's a lot of religions that don't think of these things as persons. And uh, it's specifically the evangelicals that say it is insold at conception. So it becomes a person then. And they are the ones that have pushed this into the government. So basically making their religious beliefs a part of the law. One of the things that made me skeptical of souls as a child was I'm half of a pair of identical twins. Mm-hmm. And if we were in soul at conception, 
and souls are like this indivisible unit of like unis that God gives you or something. It's not clear what a soul is supposed to be, but I know that yeah. like you're not supposed to be able to cut them in half and whatever, right? Mm. So either my brother and I, either one of us doesn't have a soul, <laughs> or you share uh, a soul, or we share one, yeah. which you know maybe is. But that's Do I, you I don't have, remember like, reading the twin about that. Telepathy in the Bible. thing. Yeah, but we're not supposed to talk about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, maybe that's why, because you're you're both one half of the soul. That could be. But, God has like infinite power, so maybe he just copied the soul, and then you know now I, there's two souls that diverged at that point. But like, kind of like how funny this conversation is, and how like pointless, and how we we there's no way we could like protest any of these things. Uh-huh. This is like the level of conversation that like I'm assuming is is confusing high cardinals to this day, like debating whether or not this is true in the yeah. in the faith, and like it it's just like. I don't know. It's like deliberating um, the speed of the Avada Kedavra spell, right? right? Or like, can it go through like stone or bugs or wood? Like, yeah. it's like, how would you, th- th- this whole, I don't know. When, Who would when, win in the fight versus Thor versus Hulk, right? I mean, at least that's fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And there's evidence that you this can point to. This is kind of to. fun to talk about too, because I'm just like trying to imagine maybe like a 3D animation they might show children about in Solomon where like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, there's the egg just like coming down the canal and then like all the sperm. And then, like, one of the sperm implants, and then suddenly it just starts glowing, and angels' mm-hmm. choirs start singing. And yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, and that's and that's how you get a soul, children. I'm sure and there's then, like, videos like that. And you're like, oh, there's all these hundreds of other sperm that, like, don't make it. So do they not have a... Ha- wait, what? <laughs> Maybe the soul is carried in the egg? Maybe. Yeah, then that's the other thing, too, is what? Like, something... Well, you need one of each, because then it's not a person. Cause... Right, yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, like... you'd be killing something every time you menstruated. Well, and... Like and in the case of a twin, there's two sperm. No, there, it depends on the, the like type. identical twins are, oh, yeah, are one. Yeah, fraternal are are two. Um, so the <laughs> there was a George Carlin joke about you know because some large percentage of fertilized eggs are flushed out during menstruation, like they just don't latch onto the to the wall. Yeah, and so like God's the biggest abortion abortioner in, of all in the universe. Yeah, but of course it's okay when he does it. Right. Which we can talk about when we talk about morality in a bit. Yeah, quite uh, a number of pregnancies end in miscarriage as well. That too, yeah. Like, you can get pretty far along, and God kills it. So it's, um, I don't know. From the outside, this all seems patently ridiculous. Like, more ridiculous than talking about who'd win in a fight between Thor and Hulk. Because at least there's, like, there's feet evidence of what they've accomplished in the movies, and you've seen these fights, right? So, yeah. like, there's, there's at least stuff you can of. point to. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. And, so, and you know you're talking about fake stuff. You're not talking about real stuff. Talking about fake stuff? Yeah. Alien? You were going to throw in the movie Alien? Yeah. I just listened to the wonderful Doofcast episode on the Alien and Aliens movies. Mm-hmm. And it was an older one. I think it was episode 31. I have no idea when that came out. But I was driving a lot yesterday and had, had it in my backlog. And me being the complete idiot that I am. And I've only seen Alien once. So maybe that's why. But mm-hmm. um, the whole thing's an allegory for... Like there's tons of... Like aside from the aliens looking super phallic. And there, there's like tons of like... <laughs> Vaginas and penises everywhere on the ships. Yeah. And the whole thing is a not subtle metaphor for, like, basically the trauma of, like, being scared of being and being raped and being impregnated and all that stuff. Yeah. And it was apparently the expressed goal of the writer or one of the writers or directors or something to be like, this will be a way to, like, make men, like, aware of what it's like to be afraid of this sort of thing. Okay. Um, and since many of us saw it as kids, we, you know... You don't, that was probably lost on us. Yeah, you as, don't as make children. that connection as a kid. Yeah, but I'm curious to go back with that in mind because it totally does. You're assaulted by this thing, and you're like, this thing's pumped into you. And you're like, holy shit, what can I do? Nothing. It's just just gonna happen. Yeah, that's a lot what it's like, and I and it's literal body horror. When yeah. I was talking to Katrina oh, about God. her pregnancy, like organs are pushed out of the way, weird hormones get flushed through you, which actually make it harder to think at one stage of pregnancy. 
the all your uh, tendons start be getting all loose and your bone mass goes down because you're you're giving bones to this thing yeah, living inside you like and everything about it is just this horrific thing that if you don't want it i mean if yeah. you do want it i can understand yeah i'm making the sacrifice then it's like pure magic like i'm, I'm giving this thing part of me to grow like that sounds right. magical if you want it yeah if you don't it's it's, it's pretty horrific it's yeah. like alien right and mm-hmm. uh babies rewire your brain forever too which is really scary yeah which I've heard some people like, which is great if you're going for it. But if, you, if you're not, that's the thing. I mean, all right. There's only so much to say that isn't said a thousand times by people who are more eloquent than me on this. But, like, the whole, well, they can just give it up for adoption afterwards. I think that's a lot easier said than done. First of all, mm. you're, you're completely ignoring the, the trauma of going, like, just the physical trauma yeah. of carrying and delivering a child, which I can only imagine. People I'm told die. Right. People yeah. die. I'm, I'm told it's uncomfortable <laughs> and that it's, it's preoccupying. But the other thing, too, is like you can't help but bond with this thing. It's literally rewriting your, your neural chemistry to mm-hmm. make you in love with this thing. So giving it up isn't like, I don't know, fo- it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, for someone like me, it'd probably be like a lot like fostering a pet, mm-hmm. except, you know, times 100 because it's being a parent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you fall in love with this thing. It's like, all right, well, bye forever. I won't even have your <laughs> phone number and you won't have mine. Um, that that doesn't, I don't have anything to add. It's just that's that's not a serious comeback to this right um and is is, i'm curious is there a cutoff age at all in georgia for you know if you're raped by your stepdad and you're 11 no exceptions cool yeah Yeah, that makes perfect sense (laughs) yeah or maybe it's alabama that has no exceptions one of the two states had no exceptions god obviously i should i guess whatever caveat that all my like cool that's awesome are all jokes yeah yeah the sarcasm is playing on my face but i maybe not in my voice we i just i anyone who has the means to leave those states i really think should yeah it's it's i understand it can be hard to leave family and stuff but oh my god get out yeah so on a happier note yes let's uh, talk about stevens noticing and solving annoyances oh yeah so then the, oh we can do the second bullet point too or is uh, that the let's jump to that one afterwards all right so this one isn't much but we get requests fairly often from people wanting to do like an episode on like how do you live like a rationalist in day to day mm-hmm and I think the reason we haven't done an episode like on that yet is because it's not super straightforward. Like I don't have a list of things that I am aware of that I do, but now I'm trying to make an effort that when I notice things, I'm going to make a note and we'll try and touch on them when we can. If we get enough, we'll do a whole episode or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm oh, sure there's people. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I could make like eight episodes. <laughs> Good. Then yeah. So Jess is here. We can do this. I couldn't, awesome. I couldn't do this on my own. Um, but my, my main thing that I, I try to do is um, like just, I guess I, noticing problems is something that noticing that things are problems and that they can be solved. I think is a technique all of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, there's, it's hard to think of like good examples. Um, but the, you know, like I put on minor annoyances because uh, I've had a handful of cases where like I'm five or 20 bucks or 20 minutes away from solving something that I didn't even really know was super annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I try to make an effort now to be every time that I feel like a feeling of like, God, that's annoying. I'm like, wait, hold on. What is, what is going on? What exactly can we do about it? And a lot of these are like super background things. And so the most recent one, again, I told, I warned you, this is super mundane. Mm-hmm. My engagement ring was too big. Okay. And I was told when I got it, they're like, no, you should have this size because you don't want it to be too tight. And one guy was like, you know what happens when you get married? You get complacent. You put on a little weight and you'll, you'll grow into it. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I feel like your like, advice of like get fat enough to wear this ring is really, really bad advice. Yeah. Um, 
so I was just like, you know what, finally, fuck it. And I took it back, and they tried to charge me 40 bucks for it. I think they forgot when I went to go pick it up, which is great. Hmm. And there was this whole hubbub, but the other thing is, I don't know, this isn't a rationality, rationality technique and more of a bargaining technique, but hmm. don't just like listen to the people if, they don't, if you feel like they're not being reasonable, if you can argue. They wanted me to give my ring up, and it might be a week, it might be a month before I could get the new one back. Well, we should. And I'm like, no, I like wearing it. I want to keep it until you get the, get me the new one. We're like, well, then we have to call in and ask the provider because whatever. And I'm like, all right, fine, but like, I don't see where the risk is. Like, you're going to get this back either way. And if I like destroy this before the other one gets here, then you guys just get to keep it. You're not out any money in any case. So like, I'm not trying to be an asshole here, but whatever. So anyway, it fits now. And now I know like this, what it feels like to wear a ring that fits. I can close my fingers all the way. and It doesn't hurt. It stays on straight. It doesn't fall off in the shower. And like, again, super small, but it was, I noticed the second I put this on that like, Oh, there was a lot of like background anxiety. The other one was going to fall off and break or something. And oh. I, it was like immediately comforting. Cool. So I was, 20 minutes of effort. Well, I guess if you take the drive to and from the place twice, but it was, I was very little effort away from taking off a good deal, like a, a noticeable background level of stress. Mm -hmm. But again, that's a super boring example. Real examples can be things like, I don't know, my desk chair is uncomfortable. Like, and you just notice like, oh, I'm not comfortable. Maybe you're a $20 purchase from Amazon away from buying a, a back pad for that, which I've tried to do this week Buy two or three of those. Um, yeah. I mean, again, these aren't good examples, but the, the general thing of like notice problems mm -hmm. and any, anytime I'm annoyed at something now, I'm like, what is that? Okay. Can I, can I identify and fix this? Yeah. And the answer is almost, or at least often, yes. Or you can decide it's not that big of a problem, but at least you notice the annoyance, right? Yeah. So that's my little thing. Rock on. Yeah. I like that. I, I like one of the things that I often do, well, not often do, but. I like the, 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 when applying rationality to real life, uh, doing the thing where instead of just when you notice a problem using the skills you have, researching how to solve it instead. Like uh, the example I got was that actors are always, when something happens, they come out and they give their opinion. They're like, we should change this and this. And everyone's like, God, shut up, actors. No one cares about your opinion. Or more dangerously, everyone's like, oh my God, we believe you. Right. <laughs> Thanks for warning us about vaccines, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey's wife. He was in it for a while. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. But uh, in any case, Jenny McCarthy, that's what it was. That's right. I in any case, name, yeah. they, they have this platform. And so like, well, these are the tools that I have, so I'm going to use them. Whereas a much better approach is researching what is the problem? How can it be fixed? How have similar problems been fixed in the past? And then going about doing those things, learning those skills, gaining those resources, whatever you need to fix the problem. Because that's far more effective than trying to throw the few things you have at something. Yeah, I would also say it's worth looking into whether there's some kind of tool or service that you can use to do the thing for you. Yeah. That's um, kind of a technique that I've been using more recently. I would even take it a step further in uh, using kind of a narrow framing tool, which uh, narrow framing is when you kind of limit yourself to a number of options because you your, your brain doesn't want to think about or isn't creative enough to generate lots of options uh, as a solution to a problem. So... I like to think about uh, cheating. Like, if, if this were, if this were, if there was, if there was some way to cheat at this, like, what mm. would that be? Like, and I'm just kind of like doing a little thought exercise about like, what are some really sneaky, like, bullshit ways that I could cheat yeah. and achieve this thing? And sometimes you end up coming up with a good idea, or at least you, uh, it helps you like kind of kickstart the idea of like, oh, okay, well, here, this is a reasonable way to maybe go about this. Or also like, hey, this actually like seems like it's not really worth my time to try to solve. Yeah. But uh, I like. For example, hiring a virtual assistant to do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh one of I mean <laughs> I'm I'm not a psychopath. I think this is just because I read Methods of Rationality, but one of the things I do to kinda of get those intuitions going is like 
occasionally I'll have a problem like with a person or like surrounding a person, not even like with the person themselves. And my brain would be like, you know, if they were dead, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks for thinking outside the box. We're going to move on to like other solutions. But like, at least then, like, I guess it, that's not, it's not helpful for like that to be like your only outside the box point, <laughs> but it's nice to be able to like think outside of like the space of like usual ways to solve the problem or like ways that, you know, if you Google online, like, how do you deal with a stressful whatever? And they'll be like, oh, you know, be more stoic or ask them whatever. It's like, you know, if those solutions aren't working, then, you know, think of other things that don't involve murder. Mm-hmm. But the, the murder example is because it's like okay that's definitely outside the box of advice people would give you right so murder usually causes a lot more problems than it solves too totally you had an update on matt freeman spamming micro intentions oh yeah matt freeman friend of the show and better rationalist than me um he also writes on less wrong and so i think several months ago we mentioned he had a post on uh, something called spamming micro intentions which was just this like this technique of if you want to do something like light exercise or finally unload the dishwasher or something kind of just like think to yourself like think the thought over and over for like you know 45 seconds and if you have this thought once a second you kind of like just need to do the thing now uh, so i was talking with him about this a few months ago and i meant to bring this up but it was at the bottom of the notes not at the top so i finally found it again that i told him that like, the way that i've been doing this now that i've done the micro intention thing is that the second i start spamming the micro intention i just do it like like the second i decide to do the, the spamming thing i just do it anyway because <laughs> i know it's going to work and he's like yeah that's what i do too i think that's like just the, the faster version the next level of the technique so that's uh, awesome yeah that's out there um yeah i think i think he publishes on less wrong under morgan mail as well so mm-hmm. but we'll find the spamming micro intentions post and put it in the notes so read his other stuff it's really interesting cool yeah matt's very good very articulate I have, like, a lot of the stuff that I've read or heard on this podcast, I'm always like, oh, man, that's, like, a thought that I had in the back of my mind and wasn't able to, like, articulate it. And he just said the perfect, like, version of the thing that I've been wanting to exist. Yeah, he's he's great at that. And then uh, Scott, his co-host, is really good at that with uh, TV and movies, maybe other stuff, but I only hear him talk about that. So um, that reminds me, you guys finally saw Endgame, which we went on to talk about. But uh, <laughs> now you guys can listen to the episode that I was on of their podcast. I did. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. It was a good I'm, episode. Okay, oh, I was going to ask. I don't want to, I mean, you don't have to flatter me, but. No, 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 um, it was awesome. And I, I liked how you, several, I think at least twice, apologized for like, I'm sorry about talking all the time, but I got all this stuff to say. And yeah, it was cool. I mean, so there was that, but the reason I brought that up was that during the show, they were talking about, if you haven't seen the movie, then I'll, I'll skip exactly what they said. But they, they made, or Scott made this kind of um, analysis noticing comparison thing and i just like hey quick meta note this is exactly why i like listening to your show right i would i didn't really notice that and i'm the kind of guy who would have seen this movie 10 times without really putting that together in those words and that's that's great so there, there's a technique all on its own of being able to i don't know, notice things at the level of like thematics and story yeah like on the meta level rather than just like what's happening in the show or yeah. movie yeah and they do that great so if you like movies and tv you find their, their podcast i'm pitching it over and over but I really liked their episode on uh, the sixth sense. Yes, I did too. Yeah, the the way they they mentioned how the camera is used and how that reinforces the story, I was like, oh, like I don't I don't really notice camera work, I guess, when I'm watching, and so that didn't occur to me. But like the whole going back and forth between the two characters to create distance, never putting them in the same frame at the same time, I was like, neat. <laughs> yeah, oh. it seems yeah. like I'm not used to be a genius, and now. I'm I'm loving that they're doing a series on it because I'm wondering how they're going to handle like the happening and Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, <laughs> oh God! I 
are they doing Avatar: The Last Airbender too? They're gonna have to if they're doing M Night. Okay. They better. Uh, well, I thought there was something along the lines they're only doing things that like he wrote and directed or something. Oh. I don't know. Maybe they're doing Airbender movie as well. It's we'll, gonna we'll be see. so interesting because they're one of the things I really like about their show is they're always so positive mm-hmm. about everything they talk about. They try to pick out good things. I'm sure they'll find good stuff. Well, Scott, Scott, like he says. He is sick of being called a M. Night Shyamalan apologist because he doesn't think there's anything that he's apologizing for. But he also hasn't seen Avatar. <laughs> so, thankfully, I haven't either. Oh, it was. Yet I've I, heard. I, I mean, it's just a bummer because there's a lot. You know, there's a lot to work with if you like the source material and source like, material's awesome. I mean, he even he like pronounces characters' names wrong. What? <laughs> like it's Ong in the movie, not Ang. Weird. And it's like and how hard sort is of that? Just, I mean, so it's it's clearly intentional for some weird reason okay. that I'm not enough of a movie analysis person to articulate yeah. i think what happens is like m night wants to like be more of like himself rather than just like a good well-received director he like wants to like weird shit like david lynch or something mm. or but like from a different direction because david yeah. lynch is his own flavor special magic version of weird so yeah, yeah. um anyway we're not a movie podcast okay <laughs> uh oh right so this is something that um david spoke to us about he was on our episode not on our episode on our podcast i think a dozen episodes ago talking about uh rationalist magic yeah yeah uh i was talking with him a bit earlier on facebook and he pointed out that a philosopher would describe the idea of calling yourself a witch or a wizard a technology of the self because by changing the way you view yourself uh and in the way you act you start sending off different social signals like now that i think of myself as a wizard in this situation i'm going to act differently and people will also treat you differently because just the subconscious feeling of of the subconscious signals that you send out, you know, in your body language, in your posture, and what you're doing, uh, make a difference, and people react differently to you. And <laughs> I saw almost immediately thereafter uh, someone sharing on Facebook. God, I hate that I use Facebook, but yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, sharing this thing. Um, hot adulting tip, making a responsibility sona and roleplay them when you have chores to do, <laughs> which is awesome and ties back into the, the whole roles thing. People really take up roles very easily and can do them yeah like we usually unconsciously apply roles to ourselves and that can be limiting but there is some power in being able to pick out from a bunch of roles yeah. uh, such as neurotypical karen yes the reply to that is this is neurotypical karen and she enjoys having good sleep hygiene and returning phone calls <laughs> and then someone else replied i find that i'm wearing that if i'm wearing real adult business clothes my work sona can do things like call people and check my inbox whereas pajama helen mostly wants to shovel hamburgers into her face and set things on fire so yeah, I like it. I, I I call like just doing adult stuff. I just call it adulting. Yeah. Like I've got adulting to do this afternoon, so you know I'm gonna be busy. Um, I I I I like David a lot. I think that you know the calling it magic magic can be kind of like duplicitous in that like a Mott and Bailey thing. It's like oh it's not really magic. You're just like doing this, but yeah. my magic symbols can cause. <laughs> magic number or random number generators to give out the numbers i want so well yeah, it, yeah. if you're calling them both magic it's it it david you're Don't great do but but it's, <laughs> it's wishy-washy and i have a problem with that particular framing of it but i i do like the idea of being cognizant of the different hats and roles you can put on and saying all right cool i'm gonna go be business steven for a few hours and then come back and being relaxed steven i often kind of already do that yeah. um but I, I i never explicitly put the hats on i kind of put them on in retrospect i um, never uh take advantage of our work jeans Fridays at work because I want my work persona to have its own uniform. Smart. So I always wear my khakis and my little polo shirts and I don't wear those outside of work if I can help it. Yeah, I've been thinking about getting scrubs mostly for that reason. 
scrubs, huh? Just so I can feel like a real clinical coordinator. <laughs> like they said when I got hired, uh, they're like, yeah, either, you know, business casual is fine, scrubs are fine. And I was just like, okay, cool. I'm not buying scrubs. I already have business casual clothes. And now like my coworkers keep wearing scrubs and I keep looking at them and I'm like, they have so many pockets. Mm. They have an elastic waist. They're like nurse pajamas. I need these. I didn't realize scrubs had pockets. Yeah, they have great pockets. Huh. And they're comfortable. And they're, and they, can, yeah. they can be really soft. And they come in all kinds of fun patterns and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always cool seeing someone in scrubs in the grocery store. You're like, that's a person helping save the world. <laughs> right? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm walking back a bit on my putting on different hats. I, I'm more or less trying to force all my hats to fit at the same time. Like, okay. it, like I, I, I play mostly the same person all the time. Okay. And like I notice it different, especially like visiting my family is like a bit different but i'm more just like aware now that i'm not changing who i am when i'm around them rather than like aware that i'm changing who i am mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe i'm doing it wrong or maybe i'm just doing it different but I, there's there's still a difference like i do talk differently to my boss than i do to my my fiance or something but that's that's not playing a different role that's just me being the person i'm supposed to be in the situations I which have, i know that's what it sounds like but it's not <laughs> i not have i had i guess a social sona if we could call that <laughs> like the person i would be when i was being social with people or going to parties or just meeting for dinner you know and I loved it, and it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, I've kind of given that up because I've been into the depression thing lately. And Aww. it's just not as much fun, like, being social and going to parties and stuff when I'm not doing that. So I'm doing those things less, too. Hmm. I guess then if you're if you're being mindful of it this way, you can say, you know what? Fine. Social sun it is. We're going to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the person I am when I'm being social. Yeah. And you can just make it happen. Or you can try. Right. Kind of that wag the dog's tail sort of thing. Yeah, right? they're like, uh, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of did that when I was learning social skills. Uh, I was in MMOs, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I put on kind of a social zone of like being this kind of like hyper happy, bubbly person, and uh, people responded to it really well. And then I realized it's like, hey, I can also do this when I'm just interacting with people at my job or at school. Yeah, it works. It's I crazy. Like it. Yeah, I did a lot of faking it till I made it in confidence and stuff too. And I think it's less about like having made it to like where now i feel like a confident relaxed person and more just like i, don't, I just stopped giving a shit and maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's what it's supposed to be like i think it's maybe, a little of both yeah, yeah. You, you stop giving a shit a little bit and then also you kind of uh you integrate some of that personality into your actual persona because it's like this is fun and this is the pattern that works in these situations and this feels like me now and it's just more relaxed like i i, I think it's just the main technique that worked for me in that particular thing was just I, when I was in high school, I articulated, what is it, a spotlight bias before mm-hmm. I read that it was, that there was a thing called that. Yeah. Where like, I was like, you know what? Everyone's paying as much attention to me as I am to them. And I'm barely looking at people. Yeah. And so like, no one notices anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like I can, I can stutter. I can not have my clothes look great or something. And no one's going to be like going home and remembering that, like, oh, Steven's shirt was stained or something. Right. Right. So, cause nobody gives one shit about me, which in one, <laughs> in, in one sense, in one viewing of that sentence, it's negative. But in the, like the sense of like overcoming social anxiety, it's fine. And some people do give us do care, but they they're not the average person you're passing. Yeah, generally the person that cares is the kind of person you don't want to be friends with anyway. The right. person that's like looking around for stuff to criticize about people. Right. Yeah. Or the people who like who do care, like they care about your well being and like those are already your friends or something, yeah. right? But like no one's gonna be like, Oh my god, look at how Steven's hair was all fucked up. Like anyone who thinks that is like, I don't care what you think. You yeah, suck. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's one thing to say that and like but it's a whole other thing to like be able to internalize that and operate that way, so I don't know. Speaking of uh, things on Facebook, I'm going to jump back to that second bullet point that you mentioned. Um, I get the feeling that our civilization is really failing at adjusting to current technologies. And by that, I mean specifically the social technologies. 
because I think they have displaced what used to be community and it's sort of destroying the country a bit and we we have not managed to integrate it and I'm, I take this back to the invention of the printing press which uh, helped throw Europe into a hundred years of religious warfare and lots of murdering because now everybody could talk about religion and read the Bible and have their own interpretations and uh, religion became a really important thing that people had very strong opinions on that to the point where they had to kill people who didn't have the correct opinions. There weren't religious conquests before that? There were religious conquests, but the printing press specifically threw Europe into just a hundred years of turmoil. Interesting. It let people know that, hey, people over there think this thing, mm -hmm. whereas before they just didn't know. And I mean, that's, that's one of the specific root causes of liberalism, where uh, everyone decided, you know what, this warfare thing sucks. We are simply going to say other people are allowed to be wrong about religion and not involve it in politics at all. You can have your religion, we will keep ours, we won't talk about it, we won't let laws be influenced by religion. I mean, one of the big things was religion was part of the laws, which uh, oftentimes people have a problem with laws that are contrary to their religion ruling them. Anyways, uh, the <laughs> Europe eventually managed, after all this time, to find a, civiliz a, a answer in civilization to the problem of the printing press. And I don't think we in the West have found an answer to the problem of our societies being, our, our communities being crumbling away and replaced by this outlet where you only get attention when you are really outraged and you get your people pay attention to you and compliment you and see that you are doing good things for the community only when you're specifically attacking someone else. Because you have to post on your timeline, this person did this terrible thing. And that is your contribution to the group, right? And so it things keep spiraling worse and worse, and we get today's outrage, outrage culture. And I think maybe a civilization out there, maybe China, maybe somewhere in Europe, I don't know where, someone is going to figure out a way to deal with social technology and not have the only way to that you can contribute to your community being attacking someone else. But uh, I don't. I get the feeling it's not going to be us, and we will not be the future of humanity. Um. By us, I mean specifically U.S. United Western States. culture. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I'm a little bit less pessimistic about that because I think we have already, and I don't mean we, the United States necessarily, but um, I like some of the trends that I'm seeing towards trying to moderate uh, forums, comment uh, boxes, where there's like better filters. Uh, there's, I don't know, like the Reddit system of being able to up or down vote things. Mm. Um, kind of being used in more platforms uh cracking down on fake news i'm i'm disheartened by this but i, I mean I, I i agree with everything but like the bummer is that it took more than 15 years to get over the the backlash of of stuff and you know it's true social media's only been out for less than 15 years right so, yeah quite a bit less than 15. Um, yeah, this might yeah. take a little while. On this the plus might take side, us a good century. But well, on the plus side of that, though, technology I think has this way of accelerating how fast things happen. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll like things will get really shitty for like five more years, then we'll figure out how this works and get it together. Yeah, I uh, mean, it's done a lot of good things too. Uh, open source culture. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just the idea that you know whatever it is that you enjoy, there's an online community that enjoys it with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic, and mm -hmm. you can research stuff that you wouldn't have been able to. Um, yeah, I mean the. The the whole point of the foundation in the foundation trilogy was like, well, not the whole point, but what they were told was like, all right, 
everyone, we're going to work together for the next 50 years and build Wikipedia. <laughs> and this was like this, this endeavor of what hundreds of geniuses working together on this project. And it's like, yeah, we have that now. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like just happened. And, you know, nobody that anyone knows worked on it on purpose. Um, the, uh, the, the repository of human no, let me like the, the, the beginning yeah, okay. <laughs> some, some people have made made contributions Every, a lot of people have but isn't it david eggers that runs more or less wikipedia is that the guy's name my, my point is, is that this wasn't like a concentrated effort like that everyone in the heard about like the united states spent you know 10 years and right. two billion dollars building right yeah. it was a volunteer uh, effort by people who were passionate about it yeah this yeah. wasn't like cracking the human genome where it was like this big project that the country was aware of if yeah. you're listening to stuff um so, Are you aware of the everything you see is written by crazy people thing? Yes. And no. I think like I think that Wikipedia actually falls pretty like squarely into that because I know some people that like comment on Wikipedia or who uh, edit things and they're purely just like fueled by the someone is wrong on the internet and I need to fix it at three AM. The everything is everything you read is written by crazy people thing is um an observation that 99% of people don't put out any content at all. They're entirely consumers, right? And the 1% of people that do produce stuff are driven to do so because it's basically a for free effort, right? Are just driven to do so out of some weird passion to do it, uh, which makes them, yeah, <laughs> so a strange compulsion, which makes them very different from most people. And actually the more, it's much worse than 99% and 1%. It's something like uh, everyone uses Wikipedia all the time, but the overwhelming majority of the content is produced by 0.0001% of the user base. And those people generally spend like 8 to 12 hours a day on it. It's just really, there's this one guy who uh, makes edits. Someone once tracked his activity. Every day starts making edits about 8 a.m. Every day stops making edits about midnight. That's... (laughs) Seven days a week. That's his entire life. No one knows how he makes money. Maybe a trust fund. Maybe he has to live in someone's basement because he can't get a job because he's maniacally focused on this. I would let that guy move into my basement. (laughs) Right. I would feed him. (laughs) But a, a lot of content is done by these really crazy people. And... The majority of what you read, it, it, it's why, that's why the, the name of the, the post is, and uh, everything you read is written by crazy people. I've definitely heard that. It also sounds like something that would have been covered by Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial or XKCD, <laughs> too. Um, but that aside, like, if I want to just, like, look up something about Ada Lovelace, mm-hmm. like, I don't have to go to the library and find a book that may or may not be written by some idiot, and I can just find a fairly well-curtailed biography mm-hmm. of you know, Ada Lovelace's life and her contributions to, to computer science or something, right? Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can read all sorts of things, how she affected the the world going forward. You can read contrary opinions to people are like, well, maybe there were these other people that did. Yeah. And yeah. The, the controversial section. It yep. has all the uh, citations at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's accusations that place like Wikipedia has like a liberal slant or something, which I think, I think Stephen Colbert put it best <laughs> yes. when he said that reality has a liberal slant. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're if you're uh, turned off by that, then Wikipedia is not for you. But just the I guess that's, that's one of the benefits of being connected that way through the internet. And yeah. um, you know, again, the the on, the community of less wrong would have been really hard to get out of California if it wasn't for the internet, right? Yeah. It would it would just be Ellie Eiser talking at coffee shops and like <laughs> the few people that like didn't like leave the room when he started when he got up there and started pontificating. It would be would, like would Paris be in the nineteen hundreds, just one guy with a cigarette and his coffee talking to the coffee shop. I picture more like somebody just like standing on a stump and shouting. <laughs> uh, I'd be the American version. Yeah. <laughs> so setting up revivalist tents. All right, at the very bottom, you have uh, 
Shuffling Feet, Whistling Vivaldi. Yeah, you guys can let me know if we want to touch this or not. I was. I think I know what you're about to say, but yeah, let's do it. Because Whistling Vivaldi, I think this was one something that Rachel told me about mm-hmm. when I was talking to her about this thing that made me think of it. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to think of how to go about this. I read it several years ago. A, I don't know where I read it. Somewhere on the internet. I don't know if it was a forum I was following or a post on Facebook or something. But it was a guy who described himself as like large and black mm-hmm. and that what he used to do to avoid scaring, I think what he described as like, you know, uh, like white women in particular, if he was like walking behind them on the street, what he had shuffle his feet loudly on purpose. Mm-hmm. So as they wouldn't be surprised by his presence. Mm-hmm. And like, because he was like, well, people are, people are spooked by me. I should, you know, try and uh, do something to make them less uncomfortable, Yeah, which sounds nice, yeah. you know, whatever. But then I'm thinking, so like I'm torn on it. Cause like, that sounds fine and nice. But then the downside is like, why does it fall on you to like change your life to make other people feel better? Right. And like, and, and this happens to have a racial component too, which is, which is uh, a heavy it's thing. A large black man. And so, yeah. yeah, when I was telling Rachel about this, she was, cause I was trying to, I, I'm still torn on like how to solve this problem. And I'll bring up the other thing about it too. Um, but she had said that she had read an, uh, something ages ago titled whistling Vivaldi, which is what somebody else's technique. Okay. They'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm whistling uh, classical music. I'm clearly not, you know, um, a thug. Right. 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 So, uh, I've heard of some people will, uh, if they're walking in the same like direction as someone else and more or less at the same pace, they don't want to make them uncomfortable because, you know, if someone's following behind you for a while, what are they thinking? Are they trying to mug you or something? They'll pull out their cell phone and start fake talking into it because then, you know, the person in front of you like, okay, he's distracted by something else. He's obviously not casing me, trying to figure out when he's going to mug me. He's not just going to drop the phone and jump me. So, right. yeah, it, th- people around you feel safer when you're on the phone and distracted. And that's, Even if you're not actually talking to or talking to anyone. And my technique is I pull out my phone and I'm looking at it and I'm I'm doing stuff. Even if like usually this is at night if I'm worried about startling somebody, mm-hmm. or you know there's a few minutes I walk I don't know maybe uh, three quarters of a mile a day getting to and from work. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know if I'm if I'm behind somebody or something like that I, I I'll bring up my phone so like I'm on this I'm not paying attention to them. Yeah. And that sounds fairly unobtrusive and odds are I probably won't be on my phone anyway so whatever. Yeah. Um, but what made me think about it was a few couple of days ago, there was a post on the Ask Men subreddit and it was titled, what the fuck are you supposed to do when you walk past a woman alone at night to let her know you're not a murderer? Right. Um, and he says that he walks his dog and stuff. And I think walking a dog is probably one thing you can do to yeah. not be a murderer. <laughs> so he's already out that way. But the top comment I really liked, which was, I think this is hard to like implement as actionable advice, but mm-hmm. it was... Run past them as fast as you can, so it looks like you're on your way to murder somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> then they know they're off the hook. Nice. And the guy replies, should I do it clothed or unclothed? <laughs> it's like, you should have clothes, but not be wearing them. <laughs> Just tucked over your arm, like a knife in your other arm. Right. Uh, in regard to that question, I was thinking, um, when Stephen, you said, why does it fall on the one person to like be the one who comforts the person who's scared? Um I feel like maybe it, definitely there is a kind of like a male female thing or a racial component which is shitty but also um people are uncomfortable being in elevators with each other uh mm-hmm. definitely like regardless of who was behind me if I was walking alone at night and there was a person walking behind me I would get uncomfortable yeah. if it was like an 11 year old girl I would still be kind of uncomfortable oh I'd be especially uncomfortable as an 11 year old girl that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's every horror movie but I'm, right. I'm, I'm kidding and I'm ruining the point I'm sorry no it's fine uh yeah, I think that there's probably an extent to which the person who is making the other person uncomfortable is feeling very uncomfortable because of that and 
would like yeah. to take steps to alleviate their own discomfort by leaving it in the other person's discomfort. Yeah. It's like, a, I don't know, there's a lot of social conventions that are just around signaling safety. Yeah, this person's commenting, I mean, in his, in the body, of, in the post, in the post body, it was like, um, walking his dog, etc. Um, yeah, it's clearly coming from a place of like, I don't want them to be freaked out. Like, yeah. And that's because it's making him uncomfortable to have them feel that way or have him have them have him perceive that they're feeling that way. Right. Right. So I guess my my thing is I'm I feel like making reasonable accommodations in your life to make other people more comfortable makes perfect sense. Um, but like some of the comments were like, well, you could cross the street or you could. And I'm like, that seems like a long way to go out of your way just to avoid spooking somebody. And like, I think a lot of people who are walking around perpetually terrified of everyone around them. That seems like their problem. No, and like I it think... sucks because like they they have something going on, but like if, mm -hmm. if you can't walk to and from, you know, the grocery store or like the bus stop or whatever without being terrified of all the people near you, that's like your thing that you have to deal with. Right. But I mean, this is, this is just a natural consequence of living in a reality where physical violence is possible and where the city's so large, you can't know everybody. And yeah, that sucks, but there's a lot of shit in life that sucks and you do what you can to make it better. And one of those things is, trying not to be the scary person, trying to do something to help people. I mean, it's it's better, in all things considered, it's less traumatizing to be the person who has to make accommodations than to be the person who is scared of being assaulted. Yeah, no, totally. I guess it's, like, I guess what level of background fear do you assume the person in front of you has? Right. Like, so there's several I mean, times... I've been in areas of the city where I've just been scared to be there, you know? Same here. Yeah. And, and I'm like five inches shorter than you. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, I, I think I, I'm, I'm relatively lucky in that sense that I'm probably not walking around scaring a lot of people because I'm five, eight. So, mm -hmm. um, it like the, once it used to be more often, but you know, once a month or something, I'm downtown at night and I'll walk to the train stop and take the train home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if there's, it's a fairly abandoned platform cause it's, you know, 1130 at night or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I leave as much room as possible, but like, I'm still sitting next to, you know, in the in proximity to a stranger. Yeah. And I've been mindful of this before. Like, what do I do? You know, it could like, I've been in the situation where it's like, it's a, it's a single, it's a, it's a, by their, by, what am I trying to say? A woman by herself mm -hmm. and then me. Mm -hmm. And so again, I'll play on my phone, but I also like, it's dark out. I don't want to be having the screen illuminating my face. Cause I'm also at a physical security risk being outside at night. Right. And so like, I don't want to be blinding myself playing on my phone or getting deliberately too immersed. Yeah. And so, like, I want situational awareness. Yeah. And there's some level where, like, I'm in charge of my own security being outside. So, like, I tend to not be completely unarmed when I'm walking around. Um, or if I, if Wait, I am. what are you carrying? Uh, usually mace. Nice. Um, but I'm also, like, just primed for a physical altercation a lot of the time. Hmm. So, like, I, I, I mean, maybe this is from a handful of them as a, as a teenager or something, but and being small but like i mean i think it, it makes perfect sense that like if i'm worried about being attacked i should just be kind of aware that i could be attacked and like what am i going to do yeah. and so um you know i i look up i'm mindful of threats and you know people coming or whatever so um it's you're right it's it's a consequence of living in a society that's big enough where you don't know all your all your neighbors but i guess that the person walking down the street coming towards the bus stop you know what can they do to make me less nervous like I mean, nothing like yeah. just be them. Like, just don't be aggressively scary. Yeah. Um, and by you that, just gotta be scared and muscle through it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess mean, that's, that's, that's what I was curious about. Like what's, what's your responsibility to not freak people out? I don't think you have a responsibility. I think, uh, 
yeah, the, the person who's scaring the other person has no moral obligation to do something to calm them down, but I still think that it's a good thing to do. So I, I guess yeah, like, if, you want, if you want to put in some minimum good points, what, what can you do, though? Because I honestly didn't know how to answer this question. Like, again, playing on your phone, not talking to them, not looking at them if you can. Um, all those things help. But, like, the ones that, like, slow down or, like, change direction of where you're going or something, it's like I'm often, like, on a schedule. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to miss the train because I'm trying not to startle somebody. Yeah. I'm also not going to, like, you know, John Mulaney had a good bit about this in, like, it was one of his first things 10 years ago or so where he was, like, at the subway station in New York in the middle of the night and there's this woman ahead of him and it's like one of those like long corridors between stations and she's kind of giving him the over the shoulder and he's like okay well you know I'll try not to freak her out and then she just starts running out of nowhere and he's like oh she must hear the train coming and so he he goes running after her (laughs) and and of course it it, it ends in a joke but um, you know these things happen right so um, I don't think I've ever chased somebody but uh if to the extent that his his anecdote's true like he accidentally scared the fuck out of somebody right so um i guess i'm curious i don't know you you could always try to make the person less of a stranger be like see the latest game of thrones episode or something i feel like talking to them is a way to freak people out and plus i don't like talking to people but that's i don't mean shut that down that could be the way to do this i don't know right yeah you Uh. could kind of maybe just yell like hey how's your night (laughs) i don't know how's it going (laughs) okay that sounds terrible i hate the guest culturiness of a lot of the social signaling safety things that i was talking about i really wish that we could make it explicit oh Um, sure yeah yeah, i'm talking about guest culture versus ask culture guest culture being um generally what more neurotypical people do where they're playing these little games and they have plausible deniability it's like when you're flirting with somebody and you're like hey you want to go out for coffee instead of being like hi would you like to go on a date um, i just always assume that going out for coffee is a date unless said otherwise yeah I, i'm bad at that uh i would like that we could you know make things explicit like there's some kind of code word of like hey i'm not a i'm not a threat <laughs> Last night I asked you guys both to coffee this morning, so yeah, yeah. the The problem with oh yeah, the problem <laughs> with saying uh, I'm not a threat is that it's easy to say, so anyone can say it, even people who are a threat. Right. Yeah, it's a drag. Like, and in fact, that's that's how his joke ends, is because like John Mulaney, he's like in his twenties. I think now he's in his thirties, but he looks like a child. Mm-hmm. He looks like a tall teenager. Okay. And so he's like, you know. Like what? When he realized that he's freaking her out, like he he's like, "What can I do? I can't like just run up and grab her and be like, don't worry, I'm not going to rape you. I'm a little boy.' Like, so that's that's not the way to handle the situation. And you're right, like anyone can say that, right? And frankly, if I were to go up to somebody at the train station, they're like, you know, ten feet away, I'd be like, I'm not going to attack you. Like that's something that would definitely be said by somebody who's about to attack them, right? Yeah. So yeah. unless there was the, I don't know, it would take a very different unless, kind of society. People, yeah, society had like already talked about and prearranged this stuff. I don't know. Yeah, you're right, though. I feel um, like the, like the societal level that this conversation's happening on isn't anywhere near that point yet. Yeah. Right. And also, you could just fake the signal. Exactly. Yeah, it's weird. So, what would be something that would be hard to fake? Yeah, I got nothing. I, I don't know. <laughs> if if you're a guy and you're worried about freaking out a girl, you could always like start talking about your boyfriend or something. That uh, at the very least would. It could disarm delay, them, but, yeah, allay I mean, some if, concerns about sexual assault. But if you're Ted Bundy, you'd say that shit anyway, right? Just to get them to lower their guards so you can well, attack them. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like that's the thing. If you're if you're also, the most paranoid that's lying. person, yeah, that yeah, is lying. That is lying. <laughs> yes. Um, but if you're the most paranoid person out there and you're and you're terrified, I guess I was just curious because some of the comments, some of the replies were from people. You know, I don't want to scroll down too far, but um, 
one of them was great. If you're walking your dog, talk to your dog. It's a nice way to do it. Aww. And then, of course, bonus points if you don't have a dog and you're just talking to your dog like it's, <laughs> and it's not even there. Oh, yeah, that's not weird. Begin crab walking towards her to show you're just a goofy character with no ill intent. Um, that's another joke, but, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I Everything mean, makes it so much worse. Yeah, exactly. Some of these are... are but If like, any of our listeners have suggestions, we're totally up for hearing them. It's more like, I don't really... I'm, 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 yeah, that's true too. I'm more just like the question itself, and how much one should ex- should how much effort one should put forward to avoid you know in these yeah. in any situation just to like make people more comfortable or less afraid. Like how much background fear are you supposed to assume from somebody, hmm. and how much like should you go out of your way? Um, you should. It's a but, nice thing to do. But how much? Yeah. Like if it's if I don't typically wear a hood, but if if it's raining and I have a jacket with a hood, I'll put it up. Right. But we're walking, you know, at night with a hood it can be spooky. So like if it's if it's raining and it's I've got my hood up, I take my hood off and let my head get head get wet to like make somebody more comfortable. That's kind of a big sacrifice for me. Yeah. Um, I have so, a, I have a love hate relationship with hoods because they really make you warmer, but they also cut off all like your peripheral vision, so right. you can't yeah see things from the sides. But, but I prefer hats. I mean, whatever it is, it's just like, you know, I. This isn't really a problem I face a lot. Again, I'm, 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 I very rarely am in a situation where I'm worried about making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Because um, I do most of my traveling during daylight hours and crowds. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's more just like kind of philosophically, I don't know how to how to handle situations like this. And it was just something that was on my mind a couple of days ago. So I guess fake talking to your phone would probably help. That seems kind of like lying, though. <laughs> yeah, well. I could call somebody. You can call your mom more often. That's, what That's true. Yeah. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Solve two problems at once. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Just don't want to freak this person out, so I'm calling you, Mom. How's it going? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, awesome. If anyone scary looking was around, is there something you would prefer they do that might make things easier? Um, my problem is that I tend not to notice like things like height. Yeah. <laughs> or, I don't know. Uh, I was actually, maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but I was kind of thinking about the way that I'm really bad at noticing this sort of thing. There's this unspoken social rule where if you take a seat somewhere or if someone else is sitting somewhere, you're supposed to sit like kind of across the room from them. Hmm. And then like the next person to sit down is supposed to kind of divide the distance between the two people until you like you only sit next to each other if all the seats that are not like one seat away from people are filled up. Yeah. Uh, Like when I was in college, I would just sit in the same seat every day. And like what I was going for was, okay, I kind of want to be like up close to the front, but not exactly at the front, a little bit off to the side. So maybe like the second row with like three seats in, that would just be the seat I would sit in every day. And if somebody was sitting like next to it, I would just go over and sit right next to them because I was like, that's my seat. Mm-hmm. And people get kind of freaked out when you're like, they've broken this rule. Like, why are they sitting next to me? All these seats are open. Right. I had the same same kind of situation that I liked doing too. Because for a lot of people, you have like, you're not just there to attend. You're there because you have like an optimal learning environment. And I had similar goals when sitting at places. I can't remember what I did if the room was if the room was... Uh, like if it was nearly empty and the person was next to my seat or something. I don't remember running into that situation too much, but... You still leave a buffer seat in movie theaters, if you can? I've gotten less about that, actually. Okay. Um, it depends, like... My, my favorite seats in the movie theaters, the ones right behind the section with the bars where you can put your feet up. Yeah, yeah those are the best Unless the seats ones. recline, then yeah. it doesn't really matter. But if the person is, you know, if I if I if if there's no room to leave a buffer seat and still have the bar, I'll just sit next to a person. Okay. Um, I've even done it in relatively empty movie theaters, which I sort of now maybe feel awkward about. I don't know. <laughs> but the, the version that I've run into as far as, like, leave the buffer is 
you use the edge urinal in the men's room when you when you go <laughs> in. You don't you don't walk into an empty room and use the middle urinal. Right. If there's three. Yeah, yeah. And if somebody comes in and there's three and you're on the right one and they take the middle one, they're a psychopath, <laughs> right? So um, yes. you, you leave a buffer urinal unless you absolutely can't. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the, the minimum level of someone to take in the men's room to not make people uncomfortable. I wonder if there's a similar rule around like stalls in women's rooms because uh, I always just go in the first stall because that's the one no one uses. Because hmm. it's closest to the door? Yeah. Huh. huh. Seems most convenient. Yeah, but now I wonder if I'm breaking some other social rule that I didn't know about. Whoops. I always Probably. use the handicap stall because it's, hand- it's the biggest. Because it's the biggest, yeah. I used to do that, and then um, <laughs> I was using a stall once, and a handicap person came in and really needed it. I was like, I am an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I always worry about happening, so I don't do that. Yeah. Like, what if a handicap person comes and now I'm taking their spot? <laughs> that's a fair concern. I think for me, it's. I mean, so far I haven't run into the situation. Yeah. Um, it's different at work because I know everyone on our floor and none of them need to use the handicap stall. Right. So in that case, I always go for that one yeah. when I'm at work. Yeah. Yeah. In public, it's it must be, I mean, it depends. Like for me, as far as like a handicap stall, my only thing to keep in mind is that it's handicap accessible. It's not handicap reserved. Right. So like they, they the like a parking spot is reserved. And if mm-hmm. you take a parking spot and you don't need it, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. The, the, the the stall in the bathroom is to meant, meant to be accessible to a wheelchair. It's not meant to be reserved for people in wheelchairs only. Right. So it, if you're, if you are using it, you're not an asshole. It's one of the wheelchairs waiting to use it. Yeah. Right. At least I'm not. Right. right. <laughs> it's, up to, it's up to the person to decide if they're an asshole, but I don't feel bad. All right. So we had more, more rationality stuff to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first post we're going to talk about is your rationality is my business. Does anyone want to jump into this or should I take it? Um, I'll read the things. All right. So, uh, if someone else chooses to buy lottery tickets, who am I to disagree? Or, what business is it of mine if someone else chooses to believe what is pleasant rather than what is true? I believe that it is right and proper for me, as a human being, to have an interest in the future, and what human civilization becomes in the future. One of those interests is the human pursuit of truth, which is strengthened slowly over the generations. I wish to strengthen that pursuit further in this generation. I have an interjection there to make. We talked once a couple of years ago about uh, Clifford's The Ethics of Belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about, I think that had the analogy of like the, the, the boat captain, you know, is my ship seaworthy and stuff. And um, there's a couple of points to that, to that essay slash thought experiment. But one of them is like, there's no such thing really as a personal belief. Um, your, your beliefs to the extent that, I mean, you can have personal beliefs that are very, you know, like preferences or something, but that's not really a belief. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you have this kind of like quiet personal belief, like, oh, uh, my car's sound to drive on or something, uh, right? Yeah. But like, you don't care to validate that. It's your fault if it, if you get a, if it breaks on the road in a way that you could have prevented if you just kicked your tires first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you were going to get a car metaphor, <laughs> a car analogy. <laughs> the, the original thing is a sea captain, but not a lot of us have, have practiced captaining <laughs> captains, 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 captaining ships it's true so um yeah the i don't know so i will finish the the bullet points and the point of the post but i agree i think that this is it does seem like an interesting diversion from liberalism the idea that you know you can believe your thing and i'll believe mine and we won't fight over it um uh, but you know i do think it's a good thing to be able to help people to, to be better. I mean, that's why we have education and we encourage people to get educated and in some cases make laws that you have to be. Yeah. Well, well per- that, that's really important for the entire civilization. Apropos the, you know, not fight people over it. 
there's there's an important distinction. Let's argue against bad ideas, but not set their bearers on fire. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's it's to me, you know, it be be charitable, be nice, don't be an asshole, whatever, don't scream at people. But saying someone's got a bad idea isn't the same as saying you're a bad person for having it, and now I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Or now I'm going to kick you out of the group, or now we're going to whatever fight. Yeah. Um, the difference is between making it a personal attack. Like, yeah, your your idea is bad is different than you are bad. Yeah. And it's kind of the other person's fault if they interpret somebody who's saying your idea is bad as you are bad. I I agree, and that's partly I think a norm that a lot of people have to to get out of, and it's hard to do even with me with you know maybe something. Um, personal or uh you know politically charged or something right yeah it's a hard skill to learn but uh i mean like when i was in art school we had to go through a critique and that was basically we were taught how to receive critique same thing with writing classes mm-hmm. um it seems like something that they should teach in school pretty early on i totally there's agree. a lot of things that i would like you know social skills <laughs> uh oh, it, i'm blanking on other things i don't know instead of teaching the same 250 years of u.s history over and over for 10 years they could like sub out one of those years for like here's how to have i you know all the like i don't think there were philosophy classes at my high school but i mean critical thinking there classes. were critical thinking classes. those were all electives mm-hmm. all of the things that were tangential to like how to like optimize your way to think those are all things that you don't have to learn in yeah, school yeah that, that was the other thing i was thinking nutty. of like you should learn how to learn in school yeah. right like why don't they teach you about spaced repetition and the i don't know <laughs> that's frustrating yeah it's because one, I think the, the answer that someone like Kaplan or Hanson might give is because that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. The point is to teach you to be a good little soldier and sit in your desk and shut up mm-hmm. and do what you're told. Um, then, then you'll be a good worker. You'll be a good, a good uh, cubicle monkey. So, yeah. Um, a good little cog in the machine. That's right. So. What bullet point were we on? Uh, the syllogism we desire. The syllogism we z- desire to avoid runs. I think Susie said a bad thing. Therefore, Susie should be set on fire. Some try to avoid the syllogism by labeling it improper to think that Susie has said a bad thing. No one should judge anyone, ever. Anyone who judges is committing a terrible sin and should be publicly pilloried for it. A pillory is that cool thing where you put your head and arms in the wood stock. Oh, cool. That's a pillory? I think so. Okay. I thought a pillory was the one where they like tie you to a, a post and flog you. Maybe that's different, though. I'm, I know, think it's pillory is the thing because there was a there's a Fallout mod or extension that let you build those for settlers and stuff. And oh. <laughs> so if you really hated Preston, you could Preston Garvey, you could put him in the pillory. You're right. That's the thing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah we just looked it up. Well, <laughs> teaching you stuff, listeners. Uh, as for myself, I deny. Therefore, my syllogism runs. I think Susie said something wrong. Therefore, I will argue against what she said, but I will not set her on fire. Or try to stop her from talking by violence or regulation. Okay. Uh, I, the, the reason he cites fire specifically is just because a little bit earlier in the post, he talked about how priests literally set people on fire for thinking the wrong things. And um, I just wanted to say how interesting, how interestingly times have changed. Because when he wrote this in, I think, 2007 or so, uh, so like, what, 12 years ago now? Uh, it was a common thing for people to be like, you know, just let everyone be, man. It doesn't matter what they believe. And, uh, if, if some other country practices female genital mutilation, well, that's their religion. And like the, the pushback was against people saying, you know, why, why do you even care about this 
about making people more rational. Stop being such an asshole. It was often a thing done uh, said to the new atheists. It's like, why do you care what religion people have? Stop being such a dick. Let them believe whatever they want to believe, right? Right. And now things have come like full circle where we're at the point where everyone is like, you think this political thing is slightly different from me. Therefore, I must yell at you on Facebook and, you know, try to get you fired and or cancel your show or dox you or do all these things. Like we have come drastically around to the exact opposite of what of what this post was supposed to address. Well, yes and no. Um, like totally, I remember what ten years ago I had a debate teacher that was uh, um, a total moral moral relativist, mm -hmm. and that was something that she opened the class with, and she was like, "Just letting you know, everything you guys have to say is an opinion. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is right." Yeah, mm -hmm. and she even used female genital mutilation as an example. Oh my god! Okay. And so, so I I didn't take clearly that, a I, monster, right? <laughs> I mean, so well, yes, uncharitably, but um, I liked the uh, the top of the post was um, you know someone asked in the comments like why can't we choose for ourselves whether or not to care about truth and mm. he says uh, an obvious snappy comeback is why do you care whether i care about whether someone else cares about the truth <laughs> right. um and that's that's the the you know moral relativist tying their own or i guess shooting themselves in the foot before they get their boots tied right like mm. they don't hold up moral moral relativism as like just another relativistic thing that you can choose whether or not to care about they hold it up as like a moral axiom that you're an asshole if you don't follow yeah. and it's like how can you possibly judge somebody for saying that judgment is wrong and not not just like out of fairness, but like just literally look at the structure of your argument. Um, the <laughs> it is interesting that we're back around. Maybe it's because people are finally realizing, like, oh yeah, look, this is what happens. You get you get the Alabama or the Georgia heartbeat bill if you just say, oh, have your own private beliefs. It's fine. Um, well, I'm, this has been going on for a while though. Before yeah. even that uh, heartbeat thing. I know, but I mean, that's true. Since 2014 or so, I, I think they crept back a bit from theocracy with Obama and now we're leaning back into it with yeah. Trump, who's not a theocrat, but he, he'll do whatever he wants and he'll do whatever he thinks his supporters want him to do. So sometimes anyway, I, um, I, uh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, did you have a thing? Well, I was, I was just going to say that it's, I think people are, are maybe realizing that this whole wishy-washy relativism thing just doesn't fly because like, Oh, this is what actually happens. If I, if I tell people it doesn't matter what yeah. people, what people do and believe and think. Right. Yeah. There's also like the, the the full relativist. I think Sam Harris put it a really nice way. That was like. Did you call them the full relativists? No, I said if the the full relativist <laughs> uh, oh, position. Oh, oh. Okay. Harris's reply to that is like, if you really think that like no culture is any better or worse than any other, you should just flip a coin when deciding whether or not to send your teenage daughter to spend a year studying and you know studying or going to school under the Taliban. Yeah. And if you're like, no, I wouldn't want that for her, it's like, oh, then you're not a relativist. Right. Um. Or, you know, you're, you're going to have to play some gymnastics to say, well, I'm not a relativist. I just prefer that you stay nearby or something, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I think it's really awesome that the principle he laid out applies still perfectly today. Like, back then, the problem was moral relativists, and the principle was, uh, I will, I think you said something wrong, therefore I will argue against you, not set you on fire, or stop you f um, by taking, uh, stop you from talking with violence or regulation. And nowadays we have the exact opposite problem where instead of having moral relativism everywhere, we have people, you know, calling for punching others in the streets and doxing people and doing other terrible things. And the advice is still, if you think someone's wrong, you argue against them, you will not set them on fire or try to stop them from talking by violence or regulation or something. It's, yeah. it's a good principle if it works in either ex extreme. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that now we have the violence and regulation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking more of um, emotional violence. Right. Okay, and uh, the counterintuitive idea underlying science 
is that factual disagreements should be fought out with experiments in mathematics, not violence and edicts. This incredible notion can be extended beyond science to a fair fight for the whole future. You should have to win by convincing people, and should not be allowed to burn them. This is one of the principles of rationality to which I have pledged my allegiance. <laughs> Fuck it. I like it. And I, I, that is a good insight that the, the advice, I mean, it's, it's super obvious advice to anybody who I guess cares about the truth or find, you know, good, good discussion, but like, don't hit the person you're arguing with, like makes sense whether or not, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're arguing against people who are for that or against it. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So speaking of, you know, meh, loose tangent, feeling stuff, we, <laughs> we, had, we had a whole episode on, ra- on feeling rationally. I think in the first 10, I think we did. Um, yeah. So the, and this, now we got to the post itself. Yeah, now we're coming coming back to it. Um, so there's the, the popular belief that rationality, is, or excuse me, a popular belief about rationality is that rationality opposes all emotion. When people think of emotion and rationality, they are opposed. I suspect that they're really thinking of system one and system two, which is fast, deliberate judgments, or excuse me, fast perceptual judgments versus slow, deliberative judgments. I think we get that less now, but that may just be the people that I hang out with. I'm assuming people who are less versed in nerd culture and or uh, rationality in general probably still think of people who are rational like Spock or something. I yeah. still run into some people who kind of, I don't know, will be like, oh, you're getting really emotional about this thing uh, and that's bad. Oh, okay. And I, I, I think it'd probably be example by example, but that sounds like generally a pretty stupid thing to say to somebody. But if you're, if you're getting emotional, and this is an important part of the post, that if you're getting emotional about something that isn't true, um, then it's like, yeah, you should probably stop feeling that way mm-hmm. uh, if you can. Um, or, you know, at least work to quell those feelings. Um, he uses an absurd example of like, you know, believing a goblin's tying your shoes. But, you know, like a bad dream or just like a negative intrusive thought that you have. If you're, you know, you're sitting around and you're like, none of my friends really like me. And I'm going to let that bum me out all day. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had days where, you know, I'm thinking negative thoughts like that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just making this shit up. Yeah, but mm-hmm. still the correct way of dealing with that is not walking up to that person, slapping them and saying, stop doing that. No, no. <laughs> the, the, the correct response to doing that is to walk up to yourself and metaphorically slap yourself in the face and <laughs> say, knock that shit off. Like the correct response is like therapy. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to take a long time to work on it. So like, it's not like, I don't know. I, I guess that's the thing that bums me out about people who kind of are like well we you know emotions are bad we can't bring emotions into this it's like well sometimes emotions are the problem and you have to solve them with emotions and also like emotions aren't bad right if someone's trying to take away your society's reproductive rights you have every right to be angry and if you're not angry you're kind of kind of you're reacting inappropriately yeah Yeah. it kind Um, of provides your motivation yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do anything if you don't feel motivated to do something about it, and that feeling is often emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brings up too that curiosity is an emotion, and I don't know if professional psycho- psychologists or something would agree with that, but to me it is. It's a yeah. unique feeling, mm-hmm. and it's 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 exhilarating, and it's got this component to it of like urgency, um, and that that mm-hmm. feels you know that that triggers a physiological response. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're going to say emotions bad, you say curiosity, you know, with any drive behind it is bad. That seems weird. Yeah. Um, I guess, and my thing, yeah, obviously if, you know, you need to talk with somebody to help get, get the right tools to handle that. But for me, I'm, I, I try to be at the stage on good days or if I notice myself spiraling on an intrusive, stupid thought, 
I'm if I'm if I'm mindful enough to notice that I'm doing that, I'm like, hey, and I can kind of just like catch myself in that whirlpool and be like, dude, knock it off. Mm. Think about something else. Mm. Um, you know, I I if you can do that, that sounds like appropriate, right? Um, and even if you're ruminating about something that's true, you know, if you're noticing yourself getting just swept up and it's ruining your life, you know, like I've had bad things happen. I'll spend, I'll lay, I'll lay awake trying to fall asleep thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? Now's not the time to deal with that. And you know, a, you're not equipped to deal with it because you're tired. B, you should be going to sleep so you're less tired. And C, it's just there. There's no point in in going about this in circles in your head. So that's why I often read when I'm going to bed because if I start thinking about something that i don't want to think about it'll just take my brain over and i can't stop it but if i'm reading that distracts me focuses all my attention on something else and yeah then i can drift off when i no longer have that thing needling at me and it's a good use of time i should read more (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think uh um so he goes on to say i label an emotion as not rational if it rests on mistaken beliefs we kind of talked about that Mm -hmm. um there's a quote in the post that's, you know, we should just do one, maybe one of these times, just do the 12 virtues of rationality instead of a sequence post. Yeah. Because he, he quotes those a lot in these. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our emotions arrive from our models of reality. Um, if I believe that, eh, it's all sad stuff, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So our emotions arise from our models of reality. If I believe my dead brother, my dead brother has been discovered alive, I'll be happy. If I wake up and realize it was a dream, I'll be sad. PC Hodgel said, that which can be destroyed by the truth should be. My dreaming self's happiness was opposed by the truth. My sadness on waking was is rational. There's no truth which destroys it. Um, becoming more rational, arriving at better estimates of how the world is, can diminish feelings or intensify them. Sometimes we run away from strong feelings by denying facts, by flinching away from the view of the world which gives rise to the powerful emotion. If so, as you study the skills of rationality and train yourself not to deny, not to deny facts, your feelings will become stronger. And that's a really good point. Um... I don't know, it, imagine somebody ignoring signs of a medical problem. And they're just like, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to use these words, but I'm in denial. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to just, you know, it doesn't hurt, whatever. It's, a lot of people do that. I've done that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I think the reason that, the, how that I stopped doing that was, I guess, A, having these resources to try and do something about it. But B, it was just like, you know what, ignoring it isn't going to make, it's just because it's scary. You're facing it and it's not worth getting into. But I had a concern that I might have had cancer. Oh. Um, I mean, whatever. Uh, so, um, like, I, and I went, this went on for like 10 years. And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm probably not dead yet. So I'm not dead yet, so I probably don't. But let's just get this looked at. So, um, it's, uh, the, the concern is like, you look at it and it's like, that's terrifying. And you kind of just flinch away from it. And part of the, the training of rationalist is to, you know, notice that flinch and like look back at it mm-hmm. and say, I'm not going to freak out. I just need to, you know, what, what's there, what's true. And then only through examining it, maybe getting a medical examination, maybe just through introspection or whatever, can you decide, okay, this is actually a problem or it's actually not. And I can stop worrying. Right. But the, maybe the the concern of like looking into it and that it becomes an actual problem. If you identify it, like now you've actually got to deal with it. But the thing is, this was true either way, right? This was going to be a problem, whether or not you, you discover, whether or not you discovered it early through, through flinching into the, into the darkness and looking at it or not. Yeah. And if it were cancer, it would be so much better to discover it early. Yes. And then also, if it wasn't cancer, it would have been better to discover that early because then you wouldn't have been freaking out about it for 10 years. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he goes on to say, ever since I adopted the rule of that which can be destroyed by the truth should be, I've also come to realize that, quote, that which the truth nourishes should thrive, unquote. Um, 
When love some- it. Huh? <laughs> I love it. Me too. Mm-hmm. When something good happens, I'm happy. And there's no confusion in my mind whether it's rational or not for me to be happy. Mm. So I like that a lot. And I think, you know, there's there's still some, I don't know, understandable confusions about like how elated can you be? And even me, like I, I tend to not to feel emotions that strongly and I wish I felt them more strongly, but, uh, I do, I don't, I don't, I don't have any hangups. I never ask myself at least out loud in my head, like, should I be feeling happy about this? Huh. Um, unless it's something that I should feel guilty for feeling happy about, okay, you right. know, like somebody don't like gets, you know, crashes their skateboard or something. It's like, mm-hmm. ha, loser. Um, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't feel good about that. Um, but if I'm feeling good about something happy happening, mm-hmm. it's the the things that are tripping me up about whether or not I should feel good aren't related to like whether it's appropriate for me to feel emotions. It's like should I feel happy about this particular thing or sad about this particular thing? Yeah. Um, but it's not like are emotions good or bad? I'm past that, which is good. Yeah. So to the extent that I can have an emotional range, I let myself have it. So. Yeah. Going back to the uh, our emotions arise from models of reality. You almost didn't read that one because you said it's about sad things. Um. I have a couple of friends who died when they were really young, and I n- never got to deal with the emotions around that because everybody else would flinch away from it. Mm. and or, or, you know, they would do the whole, uh, well, they're not dead, they're in heaven. Oh, God. Or, uh, oh, let's not talk about that, let's not think about that, let's distract you from these things. And it took me a very long time to actually be able to look at it, and it was actually like kind of hard for me to be able to ask my partners and my friends, like, hey, can we talk about this? And it's going to be really uncomfortable for you, but... For me, I need to talk about this, and I need to be sad about it. And that's good. And people, and I, my flinching away from it was purely me doing what the what the post advocated not to do, which was death freaks me out. Yeah, less so than it used to. Um, I, I'm still no fan, but uh, I'm able to talk sanely about it. Like I mean, I never like would literally freak out and leave the room, but I would say like, can we talk, can we change the subject? Or I would like tune out and not listen. But um, this kind of came to fruition last year. In fact, my niece just had her one. Actually, it's her first birthday today. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So a couple of weeks after she was born, my sister had a bunch of uh, blood clots in her brain. She noticed some numbness, and she's like, I should go get this checked out, because she's good about getting her medical stuff looked into. <laughs> and uh, there was a, when she got her epidural, they, they had screwed something up, and she had several blood clots in her brain, which is Oof. the last place you want them, oh, right? Gosh. So Pre- More about um, pregnancy being terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, just more don't... Data. Yeah. Um, in any case, what she had was crazy rare. So her, her response to the, the epidural. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was because they fucked it up. So just mm-hmm. get someone steady hands to your epidural. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, the but the point is, we were going to the hospital to visit. And I think we got there early or like she wasn't able to re- see visitors. So Rachel and I were just kind of walking around pretty, pretty hospital, uh, you know, with nice grounds and stuff. So um we got to talking about like, you know, how I would cope with this and, you know, how I would cope with, you know, the eventual death of my other family members and stuff. And, uh, she was like, it's good to hear that you're like able to talk about this. Cause last time we talked about this was like seven or eight years ago. And you were like, I will completely freaking lose my shit when this happens. Oh. Um, I think my exact words were like, you know, this is hard to say cause I still don't like talking about it. Um, my grandma's in her eighties, you know, I, she won't be my grandma in rather, she probably won't be alive in 15 years. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm anchoring it really far away, even though it's probably probably closer. Um, so uh, I don't like that. It's that's the worst. Death's terrible, and it freaks me out. But I, you know, what I'm getting at is, uh, what am I getting at? I guess yeah, that you should be at a place where you can talk about stuff. And certainly, if you can be with people that, uh, you should be with people who allow you to experience your feelings and stuff. If it makes them uncomfortable too, like you don't be an asshole and shove it down their throats. Yeah, I but guess, there's but... something important in noticing that discomfort because then you can kind of aim yourself at. Hey, death, death sucks. Let's fix it. Mm. 
Yeah. Like you, you kind of have to have like a, I guess like righteous anger at certain things that you want to fix. Yeah. And we're not all going to, this actually ties back to my little stupid advice about noticing annoyances. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think all of us are going to be able to have uh, ideas as kind of like paradigm challenging as death is bad. Um, yeah. But, but annoyances are an emotion. Yes. But the thing is, is that this is the, the, the hate, the dislike of death that's so popular in the rationalist community is the noticing annoyances writ large. Right. Yeah. Like, it's just an accepted fact that everyone's okay with because while it happens to everybody and there's nothing we can do about it, it's not until you say, no, this fucking sucks. Let's actually see if we can do something about it that we're able to actually address the problem. And this doesn't have a $20 five minute solution, but it does probably have a solution. Um, It does have solutions. It's just whether or not they're easy to attain and how, how hard it'll be to get there. But until you're willing to like, you know, notice a, that it's a problem and then B be motivated by, you know, anger or fear or whatever to actually solve it. um, You're not, it's going to just stay a problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we also did not cover the post called Consolidated Nature of Morality Thread because there, I mean, there wasn't that much to talk about unless we wanted to actually dig into all his questions that he posted. But the point of the thread was, I'm about to say some things that relate to morality. Uh, I think this was just before the, um, the Not Setting People on Fire post. Uh, and he said, I don't want the comments in those other posts to get all clogged up with people arguing over ethics and morality questions because those tend to take over any thread and anything else that was said in the post gets completely buried under morality arguments. So please post all your morality arguments in this uh, as, as replies to this thread instead so we avoid that failure mode. And he started it off with 10 questions about morality, which, you know, they were interesting. I love how he did a stealth assassination of the is-ought fallacy in there. <laughs> but um, unless we're going to do a whole post about those, I just, you know, there wasn't there wasn't anything to do, to do aside from acknowledge that it exists and then continue onward. Yeah, I actually really like these. They're fun to talk about. And I think it would be fun to do an episode about at some point. Uh, I don't know if you guys are up for that. Then we have a two-thirds majority because I wanted to as well. <laughs> All so. right. Why didn't you guys say this when I asked about it in, in Signal? Maybe because I didn't read it until this morning. You sons of bitches. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but also, this, this, I mean, there's 10 good questions here. This will be a long discussion. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's mainly just uh, some things he asks you to consider, um, to ponder about the nature of morality. And mainly, I think, to hopefully stop some questions in their tracks. Mm-hmm. Like to avoid, and I think he says this, reinventing the wheel. Like let's not start from bedrock on all of these. We can, we can at least call some of the questions by saying you know like if your question is um again is odd distinction which we really should talk about this more at length i think this is a, this is a fun post we'll talk about it okay let's put that on the back burner all righty yay our posts for next time are universal fire universal law and think like reality so we'll cover that next cool uh we can cover this video game thing next time because it's already three o'clock <laughs> and maybe just like a really one or two quick feedbacks. Um, before we do feedback, we should thank our listener or our supporter. Think. Yeah. And then I do have a quick feedback that I think was in the subreddit that I, or maybe an email, but I didn't, we'll get there. So um, who gets to thank this week's patron? Uh, it's either, I think you did it last time. So it's either my turn or Jess's turn. Uh, go ahead. Cause I can't, Navigate the document. Okay. Well, this week, we would like to thank our patron, James Lohner, for helping keep the show going, for helping making us feel appreciated and loved, and uh, yeah, you, you're you great. Thank you to everyone, and thank you specifically this week to James. 
Yeah, thanks, James. And this thanks, is James. Actually, <laughs> and this this should be something that we really should have put at the top years ago when we, or a year ago when we set up Patreon. Patreon, but. If you don't want to be thanked, if you have if you have a if you have a preferred pronunciation of your name or something, because when you go to Patreon, when you when you whatever support somebody, it gives them whatever name you use to the Patreon. So, yeah. and that is public. You know, if you go to our page, you can see our list of patrons. But if you don't want it on the air or something, just say so. And if you're like, you know what, call me this or something, that'd be great. Um, if you have a preference, so, and we'll be sure to honor that. Yeah, actually, like I wonder about you know how podcasts. I'm thinking particularly Adventure Zone do like a jumbotron. It might be kind of cool if you uh donate to the patreon and you had something you want us to say hmm yeah that's doable yeah totally yeah. i could try that um I, I never know what to say when it comes to the thank the patreon part so that would be i think that would be a little bit more fun because <laughs> i'm always like hey thanks uh they could great. do like the jeopardy guy shout out cool. a happy birthday to their niece or something yeah yeah or make us like say something goofy so, all right steven you had a feedback yeah we had a, a post on reddit from a simula crumpet um, which I like the name because <laughs> I was thinking of Ashley Birch. This is a tangent, but whatever. Uh, she's a voice, voice actress for video games and she does other stuff. Mm-hmm. But she did Tiny Tina in Borderlands. Oh, cool. And all she ate was crumpets. Okay. Because my brother, I was, when I saw him yesterday, he was playing um, Horizon Zero Dawn, which Ashley Birch does the voice for the main character, which I didn't know at all until I saw the credits at the end of the game. Because yeah. I've only ever heard her do like her goofy childish voice in both her web series, Hey Ash, What You Playing? Mm-hmm. and as Tiny Tina. Mm-hmm. So... The fact that she could play like an adult with range like blew my mind. So um, anyway, good name, Stimula Crumpet. So frivolous question. If you make it to the transhuman future, what form would you take? Oh, I love this question. Oh, man. What form wouldn't I take? <laughs> I had it. Since I already answered this, I think, in the subreddit, I've got a quick answer ready. I think my first thing was like I probably would start like something very close to my physical body that I have now with minus some of the bullshit that it has. <laughs> um, but... Like the the short story Utopia Lol that you directed me towards a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, they do everything from like floor tiles to birds to uh, whatever other random shit, right? Yeah. So Tolkien esque elves. Yeah. That that might be something worth trying. I mean, I but yeah, first things. It, it, also, it also depends. Is this like a VR environment or is this meat space where we just have different bodies? It's a transhuman future, man. You can do whatever. Well, whichever one we're in, I think would would curtail this a bit because. Maybe, rep, you know, commissioning a robot body that was, you know, more like a bird would be a lot more work than it would be just to, like, you know, go to the save save menu in, in, in the virtual reality and change that way, right? So, yeah. Regardless of it, whether it's more work, I'd still do it. All right. So my answer is I'm boring. I'd start I'd start small and then think about what I want to do from there. But uh, I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, I want one that flies and one that swims. And one that is a quadruped. Uh, mm. I don't know. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd like. I don't know. Want to be like a transformer that shifts, mm. <laughs> or uh, yeah, if it's in a VR environment, be able to just switch it up whenever I feel like it. Be able to kind of like morph as you go. First thing I would do is go um, be a woman for a while, because I think that would be really interesting, and I really want to see what sex is like as a woman. Because yeah, I don't know. It just seems so different. <laughs> And uh, from, I don't know, from this end anyway, I'm like, wow, that's really, I want to try that. That looks really cool. And also just a completely different sensation, right? So I would start with that. I would like to see what it's like to be treated as a woman by society as well. Because, you know, people people are treated differently. You could do that now. Eh, It's not very reversible. And also, yeah, it it would be very, very hard for me to pull off. 
I I'm I'm five two. I have you know this. You're six two. Sorry, six two. I'm five two. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six. It would be very hard for for me to pull it off. Um, but then after that, I think my final form I would set settle on uh, something furry with a tail with like ears. Aww. Like I want to be yeah, I want to be like some kind of foxy creature like Robin Hood or something. Because oh my god, ah, that'd be that'd be the best. I would live my entire life like that and be happy forever. So you're a furry. Uh, I don't know what the definition of furry is. I don't like. I love fairies. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I mean, like, I don't have a bodysuit or anything, and I kind of, I don't know. No, no, I'm not, because I can't be a anthropomorphic animal. I, I'm stuck in this body, so no, I'm not a furry. Every now and then I put on a tail when I go out dancing, because it's a really fun to shake a tail on the dance floor. It just, it's something cool to work with. Um, but if I could be a furry person, animal thing, then I would. We're, we're, we're low on time, but your thing of, you know, becoming a woman for a while, I, I was at a barbecue with a handful of rationalists last weekend and one of the things that happened to come up was like uh i guess oh it was like gender stuff like you know where where are you at on that sort of thing and since i don't really have one we'll t we're gonna talk about this at length at some point but mm -hmm. i don't my, my impression is anyway that i don't really feel like i have anything there but like and i think if i if i could take a pill that would make me a woman i'd, and I'd probably take it yeah um that's called being non-binary that's fine i don't i mean there's my understanding is there's like 26 letters in this like acronym <laughs> in this this uh what do you call it uh quilt not, bag lgbtqa plus yeah, yeah there's like so the full wikipedia list has like 26 or 7 of those and frankly i feel like you're dividing it too small but <laughs> i'll learn more about that later but the um like uh, yes, as far as that being an option now, it technically is. I could spend years and a fortune making this happen. And, like, that, frankly, I don't care enough to do it that way, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's it's not something I'm dying to do, so I'm not I'm not really in it. But the other thing, too, that I talked about, like, taking a pill to switch would be, like, it would be annoying to explain to my family and stuff. So, like, mm -hmm. if there's a way to, like, kind of Twilight Zone-esque rewrite history, um, <laughs> where, like, all the memories just changed, but all mine stayed, yeah. um, that could be something to do. What? But, why would it be that bad to explain to your family? Like, if it was literally just an easy convenience thing, like swapping your car, I'd be oh. like, hey, mom, yeah, I'm woman now, going to try this out for a few months. Yeah, I guess you're right. If, if this is something that everyone had, I kind of pictured a genie coming to me with a pill. Oh, and like, okay. This wasn't, like, available at, you know, the doctor's office. Yeah, if that was a thing, that'd be all over it. Yeah. Um, certainly, if it was reversible, people would be doing it all the time. Yeah. So, uh, and then it would be really hard to keep track of criminals and stuff, because you'd just take a polygist potion, go be go commit a crime, and then change back. <laughs> but, right. um Oh, man, yeah. this is like a fun premise for a sci-fi story. Yeah. But, I mean, at this I'm point, sure we're done. in the transhuman future, so anyone could switch on the little microcam that was floating in the air at that time and see who it was that did it. Yeah, totally. Track them backwards. So, anyway, yeah. That, what I'm getting at, though, is if I, if I guess I thought, if I thought to put more effort into that answer, I would have thought something like that as well. But, eh, I guess it depends on, you know, where we're at. I, I didn't really know how to interpret the question, because the transhuman future, since there isn't just one... And like, are we are we talking again, like full robots? Are we just talking like make whatever augmentations you want, like swap out organs and you or maybe an grow energy. grow new bodies that are all fully organic or something? Um, I mean, because if we all looked like Iron Man, I feel like it wouldn't like make that much be that much different. But then of course that'd be we wouldn't be we'd be so far transhuman at that point that we would be barely recognizable as we'd have human ancestors. We wouldn't be human ourselves, right? Right. So um, yeah, something to toss around there. Yeah. I think I'm out of stuff and where I think we're out of time. So yeah, I got to get going here in a few minutes. All right. Um, oh, one quick uh, 
feedback that I wanted to get to as well while it's still fresh. Uh, Ravnus Badgers and a subreddit says, to clear up the basketball analogy, it was a problem we had last time, <laughs> a layup is a simple shot where you relatively lightly throw the ball against the backboard and let it fall in the net. An alley-oop is the play where someone throws the ball towards the net for someone else to grab and dunk it. So, yeah. Thank you. you. Yes, thank you for clearing that up. And it sucks because I think I knew that because I think they mentioned an alley-oop in an episode of Scrubs. So, oh well. Now we know. Yeah. And now, now basketball is solved. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now that I know that reader or listeners are going to just like answer random shit. <laughs> God, I'm so bad about this. Like, uh, if I come up with an idea that I don't know, I'm just like, hey, Google's in my pocket. I'm going to look this up, but I'll just like pause a conversation. And then since my friends are all nerds, they'll often do the same thing. So we'll all be on our phones trying to out-Google each other. <laughs> we do that at meetups, but I think we don't do that on the air because it's like dead air. And it's, yeah. It's, we, sometimes we'll do that, but, but seldom. So it's more just like I felt like at the time I was going to interrupt the flow. And then I forget what I'm talking about. Like, hold on, I'm to Google that. But yeah. Alrighty, well, thank you for being here with us for this episode, and uh, I guess we'll see you all again in two weeks. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye.